for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. If any of you ever watch some of these great poker players, your first thought's most likely like, man, he or she is really lucky. But I beg to differ. If it's all about the luck of the cards and waiting for a good hand, then why is it the same players that are winning all the time? Well, I'll tell you why. Because they create their own luck. They go after that game like a dog on a bone, focused and aggressive. Like my grandpa always said, luck ain't nothing but skill and opportunity meeting. And it's those folks that create their own opportunities that find their most success. Hunting elk ain't no different, y'all. Creating the opportunities is key. And being aggressive is the secret to doing just that. But what does it mean to be an aggressive elk hunter? Well, let's just talk about that. That topic, along with our shout outs, and for the first time ever, live viewer questions from our Elk Bros YouTube channel. So my friends, pull up a chair, adjust your volumes just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by ElkBros.com, with your host, Gilbert Ornelas, and elk hunting coach, Joe Gillian. You want to hunt elk? They live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. Hello there, everyone. If it's your first time with us, glad to have you. Hope you enjoy our show. And for those blue collar hunters following our show and grinding it out with us every week, Welcome back to Elk Camp. I'm Gilbert Ornelas coming to you live from Spring, Texas, and from New Mexico, your elk hunting coaches, Joe Gillia and Leroy Chav Chavez. And from Katy, Texas, that's right, the one and only Luis Gonzalez. Hey. What's up, guys? Hey, guys. So we're all visible on YouTube, guys. Um, This is the first time, and... uh, uh, we're doing something we've never done before. Everybody that's out there that's checking this out. Um, uh, if you're looking at the top of your screen, I'm up on one side with right, right beside me is Leroy Chav Chavez on the bottom down there. We have Gilbert Ornelas right below me and we have Luis Gonzalez with a Z over beside him. <laughs> right. That's right. Sure you get that right. <laughs> yeah, I got it, man. We're, we're cranking on it. And so for our live viewers on YouTube, um, 
here's how this is going to go. Once we're done with the show content, what will be our Elk Bros mailbox segment will be questions from you, the live viewers. So if you have any question you would like to ask or if you have a question that develops from tonight's content from our show, just ask away uh, over in the chat, and I'll scroll through when we get to our um, Elk Bros mailbox segment, and I'll select some for tonight's show. One favor, though, guys. Please give your name and where you're from so we can give you a proper shout out. And uh, we're hoping this goes uh, the way we want it to. <laughs> it's our, our, our maiden flight. So uh, we're, we're real excited about that. Absolutely. Um, Good to be here tonight, fellas. Hey, it's just like inviting everybody into camp now, right? That's it, man. All right. You, you guys kick back and get your beverage of your choice and enjoy the show. Yeah, that's, that's friggin' awesome, man. Um, so what I wanted to start with though, guys, um, since we're going to get with our regular content here is that one of the coolest things about what we do, uh, is the letters that we get from a lot of our listeners out there. And I got a lesson, uh, a letter just the other day, um, that I have to start off with right from the bat because, Maybe we have some listeners out there that can help us out, all right? And um, he, the, the letter was from Ken Sutton of Keysville, Maryland. And this letter really hit me in the heart. And, uh, and we'll talk about it here in a second. The letter went like this. It said, hello, guys. First off, I would like to say thank you for the time you both put into your podcast and other content. I'm going on my first elk hunt in Colorado this year. The elk I'm going, the the elk hunt I'm going on is over the counter elk hunt second season rifle. I have been listening and learning as much as I can. Now onto the reason for my email. My brother-in-law caught wind of me going on my first elk hunt this year and asked if I would take him along on the following year. When he asked to go on an elk hunt, it shocked me. My brother-in-law is a paraplegic. He was paralyzed at the age of 16 and is now in his mid-50s. He rarely travels very far from home. I agreed that I would try and figure out a way to take him. <clears throat> Deciding to try and take him, though, was the easy part. Now I'm trying to figure out the logistics of what he asked. I've looked at track wheelchairs, but they seem to be what he would need, and I'm looking to find out if you know of any kind of foundation or possibly a sponsor in the hunting industry that might be able to help with a donation towards the track chair. Unfortunately, insurance companies do not cover this type of wheelchair. The cost of this type of chair lies entirely on my brother-in-law, who is living on a fixed income and puts this type of chair out of reach for him. Any ideas or information you might have would be much appreciated. I, 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 I want to tell you guys, right after I got this letter, within five minutes, I was on the phone with Ken. I gave him a call. Mm -hmm. And the reason I called him was I don't necessarily have this type of resource. I don't um, – I, I know of organizations out there and stuff, but my hopes was to put this letter out on our podcast – uh, in hopes, and like I told Ken, I said, Ken, I'm going to call the the resources I know. We're gonna we're gonna put this on our podcast, and hopefully we'll throw this against the wall and see if something sticks, man. Because, you know, 
look, um, he was really. I don't know what? that he couldn't find a place that might rent a rent a chair like that. You know, really? Yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of rental companies. And, out and there, look, so. there's the Joe. I think you bringing it up. Um, it, it's awesome here, especially life now. I mean, we already got people. We got Western Contours saying that uh, please That's have guy. him. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, so he said, please have him uh, reach out, and I'll uh, be happy to help him talk to Do USA. That's hey awesome. guy, we appreciate that man. That that's awesome. Cut, you know, um, <laughs> uh, we've already been through this. You know, I you can see I've got uh, my brother right there that's uh, that's still in a bed doing a podcast with us, and now he's not having to be in that wheelchair all the time. Now we got things happening, but I know what it's like for someone to be locked into a wheelchair, and um, I know what it's like for somebody to have dreams and goals to be on a hunt this year. So. Uh, that really touched me, and Ken, um, we're going to do what we can. Uh, we already have one contact for you. We'll keep throwing this against the the wall, and uh, we'll see what sticks, bud. I, I, and, you know, when I talk to him, it, it kind of has a little special circumstance because his uh, his brother-in-law is, you know, he's paralyzed from the waist down, but he's not able to be in a wheelchair like most people. He has to be down on his belly pretty much, or he gets pressure sores. And uh, so it has to be a little different type of deal. Now, uh, how long he could be in a track, and I know some of those track chairs stand people up, they do different positions. Uh, but, uh, you know, when when he told me about this, it was like, you know, but it's so cool of you to you know, when your brother-in-law does this to, to take that step and to see how important it is to do something like that for him. And, you know, that's what we're about. That's what this is about. That's another person's journey. And if we can help, we will. So way cool. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Hey, well, Kenneth, you're, we'll, you're, Kenneth, you're very you welcome, listen, man. man. I, 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 exactly. I don't know how, I don't know how to say it in any other way, Kenneth, that, um, this isn't just about you. This is about all of us, okay? And uh, um, actually, Guy Kenneth is is on here. He's he's um, he's right now. He's right above you on, on the the text. It's Kenneth Sutton, and uh, we'll make sure that we get him hooked up uh, talking to you. So um, really appreciate uh, already the community coming forward and standing up. All right. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, Ken, we'll keep you in our prayers, brother, too. I mean, I'm sure yeah. we'll find a solution to this thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, we'll uh, we'll try to do our best to find him a way out there where he can enjoy the great outdoors with you uh, and, and get in your hip pocket. Yep, absolutely. So you guys yep. listening, welcome to, hey, man, we're all sitting around the fire, man. We're all exactly. together right now. This is warming our hands cool. up. <laughs> got, our beverage of, got our beverage of choice. I mean, you know. Uh, so I'll, I'll put it out there again for you guys that are, are listening. Um, it, we're going to, if you have questions you want to ask us, if there's questions from the content, start putting it in there. When we get to our Elk Bros mailbox segment, we're going to come back and we're going to try to answer some of those questions. You betcha. Well, guys, y'all know what time it is. Shout it's time out, for the Elk Bros shout out. Out. If you're shout new to our out. show, these are shout outs <laughs> to just a few shout cities out. with the most listeners topping our charts this week 
Yes, sir. Elk Bell shout out to our grinders, though, first, giving us some reviews. We have Paul Perky out there. You know, we had like four reviews came in. Again, guys, man, if we could get some names, if we could get some places, love to give you a shout out. I don't understand. D B baby baby seven eight four. I don't I don't get that, man. I, I can't I can't. I don't know where that goes to. Paul Perky and Debbie Parker giving them a big shout out. And also a huge welcome to our newest Elk Bros Patreon members. Um I haven't uh, thanked yet. Sean Dawson and our brother, Brandon Houlihan, came on board, man. Wow, the Pennsylvania <laughs> cat killer himself. Yes, Get sir. Out. Yes, sir. So, Big shot, uh, Brandon. That's the, that's the shout out to those. Chad, why don't you start us out? Okay. Our top new listening city this week is a suburb of Charlotte, and Southern hospitality is alive and well here. The community is known for its peach orchards and Ann Springs Close Greenway. But for us, the cool story is about James Williams. Born here, born here, James was a Cherokee Indian and Naval veteran, one of 32 Native Americans to be awarded the Medal of, of Honor during the Vietnam War. This South Carolina native is considered to be the most decorated enlisted man in the history of the Navy. Big shout out to Fort Mill, South Carolina. Yeah, Fort Mill. Fort Mill in the house. The the South Carolina boys are here. Fort Mill is not far. Is I think it's only like uh, maybe a couple hours. It's just right in that area where you can get to Myrtle Beach. Um, you can get to uh, Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, a cool little place, man. Real That's cool little fantastic. place. Fantastic. Glad to have Next South up, Carolina representing. Absolutely. All the Carolinas. Uh, next up, 20 miles south of Seattle and originally named Slaughter, Washington. Yep, you heard me right. Slaughter, Washington. <laughs> then in 19, uh, I'm sorry, in 1893, a large group of settlers from Auburn, <clears throat> New York moved to Slaughter and renamed the town. Now jump ahead to the mid 90s and who says kids don't pay attention to history? When Auburn was building its second high, high school there in the mid-1990s, there was a grassroots effort to push the name and, and, and name the new high school. Yeah, you guessed it. It's Slaughter High School. <laughs> well, probably not the best idea and possibly setting themselves up for the basis of a future horror film, I'm sure. Right. Uh, but better heads prevailed and it was eventually decided that the school name would be Auburn Riverside High School. Whew, man, thank goodness. No slaughter high school in there. And none other than Auburn, Washington. Oh, man. Can you, can you imagine, man? Slaughter I, high school. I, oh, man. Slaughter high school. Slaughter high school. There may be a slaughter high school somewhere in the U.S., Joe. <laughs> I, I, if it's going to be any place, bro, it'd be in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right next to cut and shoot. <laughs> so I, I, this one's uh, this one's for my daughter Britt out there because uh, I I went to the, our next uh, top listening city, man, and I thought that was so cool. Women played an incredible role in helping to build and shape the West, and in particular, in our next top listening city in 1878. At the age of 34, Mary Miller found herself a widow with six young children. 
<laughs> Could you imagine that? In 1878 wow. with six kids. But y'all, Mary was a grinder of epic proportions. Having found a vast vein of coal on her property, Mary started the Simpson Mine, divided her land into residential and commercial lots for the miners, and then Mary created the town named after her late husband. She then became the first woman bank president when she established the town's bank and built the con Congregational Church. Wow. A huge shout out to Mary, the mother of our next top listening city, Lafayette, Colorado. Colorado. Lafayette. Lafayette, Colorado. Lafayette. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's just awesome, man. No doubt. Colorado, man, you know, um, when you look at our top overall cities coming down it's usually battling between dallas and denver dallas and denver you know and then we end oh, up wow. hitting things like salt lake and and then oregon different states coming down but uh huge following in colorado man so big hat to all y'all there you're up Thanks. chav okay memories of a signature blue and white string tied cake box filled with streusel coffee cake Hot cross buns, sticky pecan rolls, coconut chocolate bars, or an Easter daffodil cake evoke pure food nostalgia for anyone from Northeast Ohio who fondly remembers the legendary bakeries named for our next top listening city. Almost nine decades from 1903 to 1992, wow. founder Lionel A. Pyle and later his sons, Arthur Lawrence, Kenneth, and Robert built a family business that grew from a single shop to the largest multiple-unit bakery in Ohio and one of the 10 largest nationwide. So big shout-out to Huff, Ohio. Huff, Ohio. Huff, is Ohio. that how you say that? You say Huff or Ho? Uh, I, 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 don't, <laughs> I, I would rather say Huff than Ho, Joe. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, there we go. Man. It's, Here we it's go. all done for. That's it. That's, yeah. I, we knew there was going to be an issue going live. Wait until I start pronouncing stuff yeah. in, on my Well, event. especially when you start talking about sticky buns and oh, yeah, I'll, I'll just get out of yeah, there. We wasn't saying Ho, Ohio. Yeah. I believe it, it is Huff, Ohio. There it goes. Yeah, Huff. All right, Good job. man. Well, I tell you what, man, that's my weakness. Man, you start talking with all that stuff. Oh my goodness, gonna to have to visit that area. Mm -hmm. All right. So, last but not least, this town takes its sports seriously. Looking for a place in Illinois to hopefully book your next sporting event? Staying optimistic here, y'all. It's the home of the Mercy Health Sports Core Two the premier sports facility in the Midwest. This 180 plus acre facility features a 60,000 square foot indoor multi-sport center, a 133,000 square foot mega sports center, the Wedgebury Soccer Stadium, 26 outdoor soccer fields, five illuminated turf soccer baseball fields, three sand volleyball courts, and 4,500 foot concession building. Whoa. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> All this is found in Loves Park, Illinois. Loves Park, Park, Illinois. Gilbert, you got to tell me you guys have played ball there. Hadn't hadn't played in Loves Park. <laughs> uh, played in Ohio, Kentucky, to, you know, up in Oklahoma, Kansas, but hadn't played up there yet, Joe. Oh, that's uh, – We'll have to do that. that. we we'll have to go mind. to Loves Park. Yeah. You gotta I'm going to look them up tonight. 
what a facility, man. Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Before I get into the topic, go ahead, Luis. Yeah, I was just going to say, uh, awesome, Ch- Chase. We're, we're getting some questions coming through, Joe, and I'm sure we want to park them and, and try to make a space for them uh, here as we go. Yeah. Do, do you know how to park them? Hmm? Yeah, okay. in my brain. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. So, so at least we got room. On Louise. That's hey, right. We got, we got room for one question, I guess. <laughs> That's it. No more question, guys. Chase, you got it. We out. Peace. We out. All right, man. So, um, for tonight's topic, and, and Gilbert, when you were talking about it at the intro, I, everybody else didn't really get to hear that intro. Uh, when we went live, but that intro was basically talking about, you know, I, I like to watch poker and, you know, people see poker players and they're, and they always talk about how, when somebody's winning, how lucky they are. But if you watch poker, it's the same guys winning all the time. And so if those dudes are just waiting for the cards or a good hand, I got news for you. They're going to be waiting a while and they ain't going to be winning. Then it's about the luck. And the whole point of tonight is to talk about how really if you are the type of elk hunter that goes out and you're going to be, okay, this is a watering hole. So I'm going to sit here by a watering hole and I'm going to wait for that elk to come to it. Yes, it is a strategy that works. But now you have become a passenger. You become passive. You are now waiting on the cards to fall. You're waiting on a good hand. And what I'm trying to tell people is that just like those poker players, man, you create your luck. And and your grandpa was exactly right. Luck ain't nothing but skill and opportunity meeting, right? That's it. Okay? And the skills we can work on, right? All of us can work our skill set. Well, the opportunity part is something that you can create as well, too. And you do that by, and if you watch these guys that win these poker games out there, it's the guys that play aggressively, that uh, that make things happen. And the other day, I, I'm, I'm not sure if it was one of you guys that sent this video. There's a YouTube video of a snow leopard. Yeah, I sent it to you, buddy. And that snow leopard, when I watched that, to me, that was the most incredible example, I'm sorry, example of a hunter so aggressive, so determined that it's focused, intent, and hell on wheels attack of its prey buddy is locked in, and it's over, pure and simple. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that snow leopard fell almost 300 feet. <clears throat> Uh, yeah, latching on to that uh, deer or whatever he had antelope. That, it was and an ibex, goat. man. Yeah, maybe that's what a goat. Yeah, and he fell over three hundred feet and never let go. I mean, he hit him, knocked him off a cliff. They went falling down the cliff and then hit him. You know, they gathered themselves a little bit and boom, fell over again, another couple hundred feet down. He never lost control. I'm, I'm surprised. Yeah any of them survive i mean they, the, the fall anyway oh, yeah. and i we know the ibex i guess didn't survive but uh but the surviving the fall both of them it was yeah. incredible. You know, unbelievable so so loretta and i had to talk about this and and now for us as hunters um hunting 
and I hate to say, I hate to even use that word recreational. Mm-hmm. Um, I hate to use that word, but I guess the term I'm trying to, to, to get to is that our, our livelihood, us eating tonight, us eating next week is not predicated on our success on the hunt. Right. Like, I mean, you take that snow leopard and because of the terrain, the limited yeah, he, food resources, yeah, he does it for a living, aggressive, man, because <laughs> yeah. a missed opportunity for him, he ain't eating. That's right. And, and, and that's life or death. Yeah. Right. Survival. So, yeah. It's the old adage. You want to breakfast, you know, a chicken takes part, but a hog's committed, you know, <laughs> I mean, that, that's the straight up truth, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. And, but, but with that concept in mind, you know, when you saw that snow leopard, how did you feel about that critter as a hunter? The ultimate apex predator was not going to be denied. Was not going to be denied, right? Was not going to be denied. Determination. Yeah. I mean, you talk about determination. He just took a 300-foot dive off a cliff to get that dinner, right? Now, I, I'm not saying that anybody out there, you know, and I, I just hope you, you understand the, what my example is there. I'm not expecting anybody to ever put themselves in, in, in harm's way, way yeah. right? But yeah. the, the point I'm trying to make is, is that for you to have that same signature, as that, as that hunter, as that persistent, as that determined, as you're going to do whatever it takes out there, you're going to stay on it. You're going to get after it in order to make that happen. You know, it's, it's that, it's that down in here, man. Yes. Yeah, that, that grit drive inside. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. It's exactly. that, it's that grit, you know, that you've got, you know, I harken back to, and I, I hate doing that, but I harken back to our elk hunt this year, me, you, Chav and Brendan and, Chav and myself and Brendan had been up and up that mountain three or four times. And it, you know, we actually got Joe in the mix with us and I'll be doggone if we didn't let out a little cat cow call. And man, I'm telling you that bull chimed up at the top of that, <laughs> the top of that mountain. Joe goes, let's go. And we all looked at one another like, we haven't been up there three times already in the past 12 hours, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but it's that grit that determined, we made that situation happen. That bull right. didn't necessarily just fall in our lap. We made that situation happen because we were determined to get up there. We, number one, we had the strength, the stamina, and the wherewithal to be able to call and make that situation happen. So that's that grit, man. A lot of guys have turned around and walked away, and they went, man, I know how hard it is crawling that mountain. But we did not do that. It's just so there, about being aggressive. There's two facts that I know. If There's no way you're going to kill an elk if you're in camp, Yep. right? Now I have seen some boys that have had an elk walk into camp and die. Right. Uh, actually, that has happened. But you're not going to kill an elk waiting in camp. And you're if elk are someplace, you know, people always say elk are where you find them, right? That's right. Well, you got to go where they're at if you're going to kill them too. Mm-hmm. And that means you got to work, and you got to work as hard as they do within their own environment. So that means reaching down. And the thing that that I, the point I'm trying to get to some, to people out there is not so much just um, that persistent attitude. It's the whole idea when we talk about aggressiveness. People don't really understand what that term is. Um, you know, I, I I always compare things back to sports and different things like that or different events. And 
you know, here in northern New Mexico, we're we're not one of those types of basketball teams that uh, that comes to the half court, sets up, puts some defense out, and the ball gets moved around. They shoot, they miss, and then the other team goes the other way. No, heck no. We are going – instead, we use defense like an offense, man. We go after people. We go we go at it 100%, man. We put the pressure on. And, yeah, that's northern New Mexico basketball. And by doing that, by stepping up instead of waiting on something to happen, we make things happen. It is not a passive approach. And so when we talk about being an aggressive hunter, then what we're talking about is exactly that. What are the ways that you can create your own opportunities? So let's talk about some of those ways. All right. First off is style. And there's different kinds of styles out there. You know, we, we, we talk about people that people that like to stalk or people that are going to call. There's people that are going to try to call animals to them from a long distance. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Chad, man, Chad hashing through up tenacity. Yeah, that's a great word for this. But it, it's it's when you are in your style you're not going to um, be a whitetail hunter per se. You're not going to move slowly. You're not going to stalk. You're not going to try to be quiet, right? Um, and and there's different levels of everything. You know, like we, we often talk about some of the guys that are uh, the ridge runners. I mean, they're the screamers. They're the ones that are going to go out and they're going to try to bugle up a bull. Man, they are going to go down those ridges, they're going to scream, they're going to cover territory, and they're looking for that one bull that's wanting to play that game, right? That's their style out there. You know, uh, when when guys um, look at Born and Raised and we look at Corey Jacobson, extremely successful at what they do, and that's their style. Now, if you have a lot of country like we talked about before, like if I'm in Colorado and I have an over-the-counter and I've got this part marked off and this part marked off, my plan A, B, C, D, where I can come out here and I can hit that point. If it's not there, shoot, I can drive another 20 miles or I can drive 20 miles from there to another area. Then that style fits that some, right? Super aggressive style in a different way. Um, But for, let's say, some guys like we have been in a situation where we only have 22,000 acres to hunt on. I mean, that is our hunt unit or 40,000 acres. That is our hunt unit. So we have to take that approach and we have to temper it, but at the same time be aggressive. Okay. And that style um, also has to do with your mentality, right? Mm-hmm. I, Luis, when we first hit the woods, I, you know, I, I want you to tell me how, what was in your mind the first time you ever got on my back and we started hunting? What, what did you see it as? <laughs> so, you know, obviously it was all new to me, Joe, right? I mean, it, it uh, and I remember exactly when that was, right? I mean, it was super early, like at four thirty, five o'clock in the morning after that midnight late arrival into camp. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's when uh, a Gilbert advice is like, hey, man, <laughs> you may want to you may want to sleep in tomorrow and, and, <laughs> and get your act together, acclimatize a little bit. And, you know, I was just acclimate. so eager to get it acclimate. Yes. Thank you. Sorry. I was so eager to get out there and, and, and just hunt, you know. Uh, first of all, I've never... I had seen elk before, but I just, I guess I never, it's, it had been such a long time since I had uh-huh. seen an elk and uh, never in the setting of, okay, I'm hunting this animal, you know? Right, and, right. Uh, and uh, so a lot of wonder and questioning and, and why, why are we doing this? And, and, and it's mainly following you two because uh, it was, it was you and it was Chav right behind him. And I was just kind of, you know, I remember taking a snapping a couple of pictures because there was a lot of wonder, you know, for me, it was like, man, look at the woods around here. Look, you know, I'm hunting with these two guys that have been hunting these woods forever. I mean, we're just looking for this big animals. And, um, I remember we were, you know, getting close to them craters and, and, and it was, uh, it was, it was a pretty neat experience, but it was all like, I was like a sponge just trying to absorb everything that you guys were doing and trying to understand, you know, do I need to be quiet? And it's just a whole right. process of uh, thinking that, you know, a certain hunting style, but right. then you realize that, you know, the more as the days progress, you realize like, Holy crap, this is a whole different ball game. And, uh, and yep, so, yeah, to me and, it was and, like, why is he running? slow down joe (laughs) yeah no and look they took it they took it easy on me that first day that first morning they never took it easy on nobody oh he did he that first morning wasn't too bad he didn't take it easy on you man but but let me let me explain something that too because this is exactly what i want to do in defining aggressiveness aggressiveness does not mean you're sprinting through the mountains the whole time you know that's like luis like you brought up one time it is if your last name's jillia (laughs) but it's it's a lot of time it's hurry up and slow down yeah no doubt i mean Mm -hmm. there is a time to um to move like the animals do and and that's the only way i can explain it there's no reason to be running through the woods unless there's a reason to run man and you know, there's times when you're working from one place to the other and you've got to pay attention to things. You've got to use your eyes, got to use your nose, got to use your ears. And in that time, if your whole motivation is to hike, and I see so many guys doing this right now. So many guys are like, man, I got to put on five miles this morning. That I mean, I'm not hunting if I don't put on five miles. Well, why are you going to put on five miles and pass a whole bunch of elk, right? Exactly. So. Right. So if if you are moving through, you should be moving through as a hunter using your senses. Now, you do a call and we get a bull that sounds off a half mile away. Man, we just went we're going in a totally different mode. Right. You know, I mean, uh, Chav, as soon as we hear an animal like that, 500 yards away is the first thing I got to do. Scream a bugle. No, just start closing that distance. Yep. You know, move and, right towards it. Yep. And, and and that's just it, man. Now we're in run mode, right? Now we're getting after it because, buddy, there, there's so many things. Like when you hear a bull bugle, 
I, I want people to understand that that bugle can sound closer and farther away. Is he bugling away from you? Is he bugling at you? Did he just top out over a ridge? Was he on top of a ridge? So if that what voice the stops, wind blowing? Yeah, which way the wind's blowing? If he stops on top of a ridge, turns back, and now he screams at you before he goes over the other side, you know, with a group, it's so easy that you can lose him. So, man, yeah, you got to cut the distance. And you are not, I repeat, not worried about your movement. You're not worried about your sound. In fact, just the opposite. You want to make that noise. You want to be that elk. You want to get in after it, right? So your your movements have to be aggressive. Um, you You don't want to hear an animal. And then, and, and some guys think you have to do this. I, I just had a bull that bugled 500 yards away. Oh, oh, set up, set up, set up, right? You know? Yeah. No, man. Yeah, there's not enough information. And that's not aggressive. You have just turned the situation from your situation to that animal situation. So, buddy, you need to, you need to cover, cover that distance. You need to get that. And so your movements have to be aggressive. Now, calling style, how are people aggressive in their calling? And uh, you heard me talk about some guys that are ridge runners and they're just trying to find that animal. Can you be aggressive uh, in your calling without being challenging? And that's where people mess up. People start to thinking that when I say aggressive, that yeah. I mean when a bull sounds off, Challenging. Um, I'm challenging that bull. No, that that's not what's happening. Right. In fact, think about, uh, you can think about your bull, Gilbert. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, two years ago, September 2nd, when Chav and I killed our bull, yeah. totally different scenario. I killed one. He kills another one 45 minutes later. Totally different scenario. Me and Chav will talk about it. I'll let him tell what those bulls were like here in a second. But your bull, Gilbert, what type of technique? Was there a lot of calling? No, just a very little on that bull that year. Um, what about us? What Were we doing a lot of calling? Oh, yeah, man. I'm... Wild <laughs> and woolly. Absolutely. Uh, now, but... was it challenging calls at him? No. No. It, actually... It, like I said, us, when we got in the middle of the herd, we didn't have to do anything but sound like a cow to actually entice the bulls to come our way. And then we had them as close to 12 feet, 15 feet from us. So we really couldn't make a whole lot of, lot of noise, right? Well, I'm so, talking about your bull this year. Oh, this our bull this year? Yes, sir. Yeah, no, I, we were just trying to sound like some cows up there and a bull with a cow that was hot, right? right. And when we – when we made that sound, he went into a wallow and then couldn't handle it, decided that he wanted to come and see from a half mile off, right? So, I mean, that was incredible. We never challenged him at all, ever. Uh, we All we did was sound like a, a, a bull up there with, this, with some hot cat, with a hot cow, and she was real insistent. What really, I think for me, what really, and you can call that aggressive because, of what you did with the lost cow call, right? Right. That lost cow call for me is an aggressive call. And I mean, that drove him insane. He had to come see what was up with that. Why is she lost if there's another bull up there with her, right? Maybe he's not paying attention. So I'm going to go find her, you know, 
And right. uh, that's a, that's an aggressive situation, but we weren't being aggressive to him. Well, see, and, so that's, and, that's a good point, uh, Beto. I, I think, you know, and I think what you're trying to say, Joe, and, and let me see if I understand this, because I've heard, I've heard conversations around, well, you know, um, be, you're calling too much or uh-huh. you're, or, you know, or too little. What's the right amount of calling that you should be doing out there? I mean, a lot of people say, oh, I shouldn't be calling too much. And I don't, I don't think it has, it's related to the amount of calling. I think it's related to the right calling, the, 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 the situation. Type, the, the, yeah. The, the right situation, the, the, the right call, because man, well, it you helps know, when you see the bulls uh, bodily, uh, reactions to the calls too. Right. Really but I mean, I, I don't know that. Um, I mean, I think hunting with Joe uh, for me has been the experience has been uh, it's there's there's constant calling if you can if you can define constant as not. There's you know, always there's it, always a call. There, coming there's out always something going yeah. on, right? I mean, right. even even if it's you space Breaking it out a, a little bit more or space it out less, but I just never I've never seen that impacting the hunt negatively. No, or us not being able to uh, get some sort of a response or something, you know. So, and and I think that's what I'm picking up from you, Joe, when you say aggressive. you know be aggressive in your right. call. It's just like okay, start playing different scenarios, start testing different things, you know, just be out there and just start kind of putting a feel on what's, what's happening. What are, what are animals responding with? What's, what's the weather like? What is, you know, what time of the day are we on? You know, just try different things. Yep. I never learned more Joe than, than when Chab and I, we'd already tagged out and I forgot my hat and I just, all I took was my grant tube and my, in my uh, in my <laughs> diaphragm call with me, and Chav and I got in the middle of a huge herd and uh, several bulls, and we just had a ball calling those bulls to us, and then the other mm-hmm. bulls would call the cows to them, and it was, I bet it was forty five minutes of just us standing off speaking the language, right? Yeah. right. And when you can see their, when you can actually see their body language and how they react to calls, some bulls didn't even raise their head. Right. Some were really aggravated that we were, you know, uh, act, you know, we'd step on them. And when that right. happened, it would get real aggressive. And then the cows decided, well, man, if this is a bull over there, we're going to come see him. So they came to us. Right. So we had <laughs> all over us at one time and it, it was fantastic. So if I could talk to our, you know, our viewers, man, you know, if you're, if you're done with your hunt, you ain't done. Go get in amongst those elk and learn the language. Oh, heck yeah. That's yeah. I think that's a huge deal with you being able to be aggressive and being able to speak the language. And I, I want to make sure I reemphasize what Luis, because he said exactly the point I'm trying to tell everybody is that when I say I'm being aggressive as a caller, it's probably in the fact that I am trying to make something happen. Yeah. It's not that I am uh, being aggressive at an animal. It's not that I'm challenging an animal. My aggressiveness is in the fact that I'm not being passive. I'm not waiting to walk by something. I am trying to create an opportunity. So I, and you know, John, everybody talks about that. Uh, John Jones talked about the, the breeding sequence and, and 
yeah, I guess that's a, a good way to, to call it as a breeding sequence. But a lot of times, if you've been around these animals, just, just their herding nature, number one, um, the opportunity to uh, to get on what I call their, their convergence, where they want to be a part of something that's going on. Or when they hear, like when you act like a group of elk that is uh, leaving, yeah. that other groups are following, that drives them nuts, man. They want to follow that group. And there might not even be a hot cow in there yet. But yeah, you start making a sound like there's a hot cow. And then you sound like multiple bulls. Because guys, everybody tell will tell you this. And it's absolutely true. When you hear multiple bulls screaming, that signifies that there's a hot cow oh, in the yeah. area. Now, when you sound like multiple bulls like that and you have a bull that's bugling behind you and you move away from him and then you start throwing lost cow calls after you've moved away you come back and you throw lost cow calls in between oh my lord man he's like hey, she's mine hey exactly right? we saw that firsthand i mean yeah whew, he did not he was like oh man she's lost i'm gonna go find her honey but that's, baby please i'm right here and, and, and that can happen. Look, that technique does not have to be in prime rut because right. cows can come in at any time. And uh, But at the same time, all right, so that's one technique, doing scenarios. But Luis has been with me and, and Manano and Tucker and Gilbert and Chow. One of my favorite techniques early season is to move through those transition areas, either bow or cow calling. One or the other, sound like a bull mew or a cow going through and knowing that they're going to come in silent, right? I mean, the last time on the last uh, podcast, we talked about your epic day with that, the, the, that you shot your 346 bull. Yep. And that started out with bulls coming in silent and then turned into, because of the screaming I started doing, trying to get bulls to turn around or to stop or once hit, started escalating everything and next thing you know man we can storm. oh we can we can cause things to happen yeah. and and so that's what i'm talking about in in aggressiveness y'all aggressiveness you can be ag aggressive in a lot of ways without instilling a fight you can uh be aggressive in movements like like we said, closing in. Uh, I'll give you another one, getting in position, right? So let's say I've got a, a setup and I have seen so many guys that, and, and Chab just did a, a perspective piece um, on our uh, Elk Hunting Academy. He does a perspective piece where he's talking about one of the toughest things for him to realize early on was he needed to be in front of stuff or that if a bull is coming in and you don't have any shooting lanes, you had better be aggressive enough to move to get a shooting lane, all right? And most people's mentality is, well, if I move, I'm going to spook the bull. <laughs> if you don't move, it don't matter. Exactly. Right? right. It's you like drawing. Got to draw. Have yeah. to draw. If, you, if, you're draw. Bow hunting, if you're bow hunting and you don't draw your bow, you're never going to be able to – close the deal you have yeah, to draw you, you obviously want to look for the right opportunity to do so but look if if 
if you don't do it and you freeze because you think the animal is looking at you and you know the animal is about to run away because he's looking at you, if you don't draw at that moment, animal's going to go away anyway, and you never had the opportunity yeah. to draw. So, so if you if you do have a bull standing there looking at you and you haven't drawn yet, okay, here you go. Here's that nugget, y'all. Man, is scream a bugle and draw. Scream a bugle and draw. And you had better be paying paying attention to your shot location when you're doing that. Don't look at the animal anticipating right. for that animal to do something. Focus on your spot, scream a bugle, draw, pop, touch off, man. Because when he sees that movement with that bugle, it just puts that doubt in his mind of that's another bull over there, right? And even though he's looking at you and he sees the shape of your bow, he is not positive what's going on. I've had a bull stand right there while I did that in shooting, man. And it and more than one time. But I watched if, it for about twelve minutes this year, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> he stared right. a hole through us. Yeah. yeah. But but at that bull, that bull did not have you pinned. I'm talking no, about no. at all. He didn't have any idea we were there. And I'm saying a bull comes out and he turns and looks right at you because you're a funny shape or something like that. Right. If he's in your right. if he is in your shot position Buddy, you scream and you draw and you touch because uh, th that's what you got to do to freeze them up like that. You got to be aggressive. I think that aggressiveness comes in too. And like you said, you got to hurry up to slow down too because you can get in too big a hurry and, and, and rush something that was a bad sure. deal. You know, um, what we did this year was, I mean, it was just impeccable. We had the patience of Job to sit there and wait on that bull before he finally turned. And then it was all about getting, you know, getting, I, I never did take my eye off of where I wanted to touch him. Cause that's my right. deal for right. me to close. I got to not even look at the animal. I just look where I want that arrow to go. And that's what happens. And it, everything else kind of voluntary after that. But when you screamed that bugle, I knew exactly what I needed to do. Right. I had to step out around of an aspen tree and then cut it loose right but i we created that opportunity if i'd have just st stayed there pegged i'd have never been able to shoot him you know so it's about creating your opportunities and understanding that if we if we don't ever uh if we don't ever draw or we don't ever create that opportunity and create that movement get that shooting we'll never lane. get the opportunity yeah. right get that shooting yeah. lane and yeah. and then know when he's making his turn you know when a bulls if he's frontal and he you don't like that shot he's got to go one way or the other and it, they pivot. They don't. They don't shuffle. They just pivot. And when they pivot, I mean, they're going to give you a broadside shot. You just got to be patient in that. So, in that uh, so that people understand our situation. You know, we we had and and guys, they tell you that a bull will circle around all the time. I'm telling you, that is not always true. It just depends on the current situation. I have found more bulls are going to circle you when you're challenging them, especially on public land, because mm -hmm. they've been called in. They've 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 been to that rodeo already. So now yeah. when they have another bull and they're and they're thinking, oh I'm I'm coming in, they're going to kind of sometimes circle just to check that because, you know, they've already been burned once and, and elk are smart, man. That's okay. Right. Um so uh, this bull, because we were ignoring him, we weren't engaging him. We were doing our own thing, making it sound like our own group. This bull comes not only straight in, 
He comes straight up the hill to us. And up how many times have you heard people say oh, they won't do that? I got news for you. I beg to differ on that. Watched it. <laughs> and so we are inside the trees, probably 30 yards, right? Mm -hmm. That bull comes up to the edge of the trees, wanting to come in, but he's like, okay, I, I hear all of them up in there. And he's just looking, looking. At that point, he is staring through us but he has no idea we're there. So at that point at 30 yards, Gilbert has a straight on shot. And at 30 yards, that wasn't the shot that he wanted, man. And that's where I'm, I was so proud of him. He had the patience. He stayed within himself and he waited because at that point where that bull is at, he is a dead bull. And let me tell you why, because as soon as he gets bored of the situation, he's going to turn to walk off. And if you've ever walked, watched elk behavior if you've messed with him a bull that let's say you have a hung up bull right and he's facing you he starts to turn to go off and so you throw a cow call what does he do he turns right back around the same way and he looks for a second right and then okay. he gets bored and yeah. then he turns and he might even stop and kind of look while he's turning like that well that's how I know that that was a dead bull because he's looking at a straight on all we got to <laughs> do is wait Gilbert's being patient he turns, and when he turns, I go into a full-fledged bugle, which is going to lock him up. Gilbert's drawing. If he spots Gilbert's draw, because of the bugle, it's going to freeze him up. Just, I'm just telling you. I've it seen it perfect. way too many times. That's what's going to happen. And before you know it, man, that, that bull is down in less than 10 seconds. And, and Gilbert puts it right in the elk bro spot right there, man. We, we are mid-body, about three inches behind the crease. Double lungs, that bull is down in less than 10 seconds, man. Yeah, you know? less than so, 30 yards he, he fell. Yeah. yeah, I don't even think it was, it was awesome. that, man. It was like, no, it wasn't. It he didn't go very was... far. He didn't go very far at all. Of course, no. Gilbert held, held his draw for a long time. Yeah. I don't know how yeah. many people could have done that. That was pretty amazing. I, I did. Well, he kind of hung up there when he started to turn, you know, he kind of, uh, uh, and then he hung up. So I drew and I held it for a pretty good long time, you know, uh, right. That, that's part of your practice. So you can be aggressive. Right. I mean, I sit here in front of, I, I put it the guys, put your target in the house and put you an arrow in your, in your bow. Don't, uh, don't do like some of my friends have done and just draw your bow back and blow it up put you an arrow in it, put your target in your house. And I watch TV <laughs> or my elk hunting shows or whatever. And I'll, I'll sit there and hold it. And I, I want to be able to hold for about four and a half minutes. And if I can hold that long, I mean, you know, it's just the more you can do stuff like that, the more opportunity you're going to have. Absolutely, you know, man. We I mean, hunting in the wide open. Most of the time we're in the, in the thick stuff, you know, so got to sometimes be able to hold your draw. And we're going to talk about mine and uh, uh, Chad's situation, not last year, but the year before, September 2nd. Um, we are doing what we do. We're in the dark. You know, we give a cow call and a bull bugles um, from an area. And so we still have that dark where, well, he's not that far away. So at this point, I mean, how far do you think that bull was when he first sounded off, Chad? Less than two. I'd say uh, it was hard to tell, but I'd say probably less than two hundred. Yeah, and and with us still having a half hour um, before we have good shooting light, uh, and it, it, even probably till gray light, that's one of those situations where we have to sit back. We got wind. We're waiting on it, and 
when we start to get it, we have gray light. So now we're starting to cut the distance. And it was kind of that situation with you, Gilbert, at that time I catch some movement and, and man, all of a sudden elk start appearing within, what was it? How, how close were those spikes to us, Chad? Oh gosh, there were probably 10 paces, one yeah. of them at one time. <laughs> but they're, so, they're, it's like they appeared out of nowhere. They were just right there. So which brings me to another situation. Guys, how many times have you been going to a bull or going to elk and had elk blow that for you? Well, let me tell you what caused our situation to go awesome. And that was these spikes that are right there. Because those spikes are right there. They kind of started looking at us a little bit. So what I did was I just wanted to settle them down because they saw some movement. So I had my grunt tube. It's always on me, slid so it could go behind me, and I give a good, sweet, yeah, going back. That's all I did. They settle in. They start to go a little bit. Well, all of a sudden, something happens, and they start to booger. Well, I don't want them to booger into the other elk, or if they do, I want the, those other bulls to think that they were pushed off by another bull. So I start screaming like a, an aggressive bull at those that may have hooked or pushed them. They go off, and all of a sudden, man, this bull lights up. And at that point, man, Chad, probably 150 yards closing into 100 when we hear that bull, right? Right. Yeah. And, and so I put Chab out in front of me, and I start doing – and I'll tell you the thing that killed that, that, that bull – was raking a tree, right? So I am engaging with him. I have Chab set up, and when Chab is set, I know where he's at. So what I'm trying to do is steer that bull by him. I don't want him to circle downwind, so I'm trying to kind of like a record player. As that bull's turning, I'm rotating as well, and I start doing some things. Well, Chav, tell us what happened and, and what the bull was doing whenever he heard me. Okay, well, uh, and there were several bulls, actually, about seven bulls. But yep. the big one, uh, the moment he heard the raking, he looked up, turned around, and headed to a, a short bush and just thrashed it <laughs> and then came running. And uh, he was circling you, and he came between me and you, but I wasn't uh, – I didn't move quick enough to prepare myself to get in that shooting position, you know, and uh, he kept going, and you were able to get it later on. So I'm getting ready to start raking. I, I'm, I'm on my third set of raking a tree, just getting ready to start again when I catch the movement because I have my bow on the ground. I, I, I'm like, there's no way that bull's coming to me because if he circles Chav, he's going to send him. He's not coming to me. I had no idea that from my rotation and my raking, he ended up coming straight, came between Chav so that he was on the uh, upwind side of him, comes into me and starts looking up the hill. I have, I am behind a tree, bow at my feet. How many guys would have just frozen in that situation, right? Mm -hmm. You know what I did? I reached down, I picked up my bow, I got around that tree and started looking for shooting lanes. That bull now is feeding, looking up the hill. I didn't have to make another noise because he was already looking up and working that way. Walks right up to me at 18 yards when he turns 18 yards. I lock him up. I'm already drawn pop at 18 yards. I mean, that's over. Now I'm screaming at him because I don't want him to run off. And, and I, I want, if you bugle at a bull right after you've hit him, 
they don't know what's happened. They don't, they don't know that that's an error. They relate it with another bull doing that and confuses them. So a lot of times they will stop 30, 40 yards and they'll just walk and lay down and die, man. So I'm screaming yeah. at him because I'm screaming at him because of the scent of the bull in the air. <laughs> Chav and I meet up. We come down and I'm telling him that bull's right there. I, I see him. He's laying down right there. While we're standing there, how many more bulls came into us? I mean, oh, into we're, us. We had at least <laughs> four, four other bulls, and I mean, close and personal. But uh, I wasn't prepared. Oh, actually, I, I did take a shot at one, and it, and uh, there was a little sapling right at the kill zone that I didn't see, and the arrow just stuck there perfectly. Bing. <laughs> and at that point, we started we started laughing, and then a huge six by six comes up and almost runs over us, and we're looking at it, you know, and our at that point, our bows were our bows were both down on the on the ground. And... I I literally threw a pine cone at him, man. He he <laughs> he was probably twelve yards away, and I threw a pine cone at him wow. because and and we're we're laughing and I mean it was it was comedy at that point, man. You you just had to enjoy the moment, and and that's one thing that I would tell. Like uh, we had we had a, a guy that says, well, how do you deal with uh, uh, that? that pressure putting meat on the table, that weight on your shoulders. I got news for you, dude. I like that weight on my shoulders. Uh, I, I, that's how I deal with that. It's kind of like if you've ever heard Michael Jordan talk about um, other people putting pressure on him. Well, nobody can put pressure on me that I don't already put on myself. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I think pressure is what hones a diamond, man. I mean, that's what turns coal into a diamond. And, and the pressure is what you feel when you don't know what you're doing. Exactly, man. And and you know, I feel a lot of pressure out there in the world. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. oh grasshopper, you coming along good. (laughs) (laughs) But you know that when when we were there in that situation like that, um, you get to learn a lot from that. And there were bulls that were screaming, challenging. The scent was in the air. They were reading the whole situation as there being a hot cow someplace there. And this was on September 2nd. And and John Jones asked us, like, he, he's like, dude, if there's a spike happening in Utah, <laughs> just appears, he says, I'm, I'm airing that thing, man. Well, <laughs> <laughs> me and you too, Johnny. Absolutely. <laughs> we, it was it was September second. We had bulls screaming out in front of us, and uh, you know uh, that competitor comes up in that that apex predator comes up in me. Uh, <laughs> I, that challenge, that competition, and it's just in my blood, man. So uh, I'm an equal opportunity elk hunter, brother. I ain't. <laughs> I, there is no a prejudice in me at all. They can all get it if you get in front. <laughs> and you know when when we talk about being aggressive in the finishing that's what you were talking about gilbert and that's what i was talking about you have to draw i literally had a hunter i had a hunter that uh was eight feet away from a bull glunky eight feet away man right oh we've had Far, which pin if he's yeah if he's watching this if he's watching tonight joe he's gonna know exactly who he's talking about his ears are burning i promise you eight feet away and the bull is walking by him and the bull has no clue we're there at full draw and he asks me how far 
<laughs> which bin? Pressure, man. It's yeah. what you. Yeah. What do you mean, which bin? You know, he's all so, of them. He's so used to. But we harken back into your training. He's so used to getting a range before he lets something go. You know, absolutely. Range man. is everything, and it, it's just part of that training that you got to overcome when you when you come out west. You know. But that's um, yeah. that's man, why and all look, of them. Joe said so all easy. of them. All of them. <laughs> it's so easy to do, guys. I mean, yeah. Look, you know, when you get out there in front of one of these animals and they're so up close to you, I mean, these things are at the size of not bigger than a horse with antlers that are taller than you are, you know, and they're screaming and, you know, there's smoke coming out of their nostrils and they're just like getting all over the place. Right. I mean, just (laughs) a very intimidating animal. It's like Beto says, you know, everything, you know, comes out of the crack of, you know, where, when one of those things stops in front of you and starts screaming, you know, it's just like, it, it just, it's, I can only and, and that's what we live for. Yeah, I can only understand what the cavemen felt like because you know they had dinosaurs around them <laughs> all the time, right? I'm telling you, that's what it feels like, fellas. When one of them things are breathing fire at you, and I mean they are not happy. Their eyeballs are blood red. And, I mean it is wild, man. So everything you can really get stressed to the max, you know, and uh, everything you've learned about bow hunting, like Louis said, run out the crack of your behind real quick, you know? Yeah. Uh, no, it, it's just it, about, but Joe talks about it so much is positioning yourself to finish, you know, and, right. and understanding that it's your training on how to finish. You got to put yourself in your practice in some pressure sometimes, whether it's my son will get out there and yell at me, get in my face the whole time while I'm, you know, letting it go. There are all kinds of things you can do to prepare yourself, put objects in your way. Look, Um, go shoot a 3D shoot, find the top dogs. I mean, if, uh, for myself, I I shoot bare bow, um, um, instinctive fingers. And the first thing I do is I put myself in a group of uh, unlimited guys, man. Mm -hmm. Uh, I want to go in and, and compete against the big dogs and, I want to feel that pressure of them looking at me. Put yourself in the situation that you are uncomfortable. You know, forget about being the ace in your backyard, man. Yeah, that's the practice. That's to get it down. That's to get the form. But then find a way to put yourself in an uncomfortable situation. Um, Go brag to everybody how great of a shot you are, man, and then tell them to come and watch you. Then the pressure's on because you got to yeah. make it happen, right? Come, come <laughs> holler at us and come, come down here and uh, chase some of these Texas swine that we got running around down here. It'll teach yes. you how to finish. Well, uh, I was going to mention that you know that to me that's been such a plus in in kind of getting my my game up to speed a little bit because. And I, I suffer from, we've talked about these, the vitilacus, right? I mean, target I, sure. yeah, I, it's like I, my heart goes to beating super hard and I feel like I can't even breathe when I get so excited when I know a target animal is coming, you know, into play it's and I'm true. getting ready to make I've a been shot, with you. you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, and it's, it's super, uh, it, I, it's frustrating because I feel like I lose control. I was like, why the heck am I getting so excited? And then I go into the mental game of telling, calm down, you know, just breathe. And, and, uh, you know, until you finally, the more you do it, the easier it becomes. And you guys have said this several times. So, yeah. you know, if you go out there to, 
and I hate to call it lesser important game, but I mean, pigs out here in Texas, uh, we got plenty of them. You don't need tags for them. And then uh, they're good eating. And but you don't have that pressure of that once a year hunt, you know, because, you know, you can come back next week and do it again yeah so, you felt so pressure you with those pigs didn't you <laughs> I, yeah <laughs> chad felt pressure with those pigs man <laughs> yeah, look they'll humble you man they're they're cool critters to hone your skills on it's it, don't get me wrong i mean you can't compare it to hunting elk but closing on one is just as difficult i mean there's yeah. little targets yes. you know so, and sometimes they they don't sit still you know one thing that I would tell people that'll help you out a lot is is I, I truly believe in counting coup on animals. And if, mm-hmm. if you don't know what that is, you know, uh, Native Americans believe that um, the greatest warriors were the ones that could go up and touch their enemy uh, without killing them. You know, that showed ultimate bravery. Or without and, getting killed. Or yeah. getting killed themselves. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. man. And and I, I totally believe that. I mean, working in a situation, like I said, if I had an animal that was there and maybe it's one that I'm not going to take, I work on getting close in and counting coup on that animal. And, and just you get to understand more things when you do that. When I draw on that animal and that animal's right there and I'm not even going to shoot on it, I get to see how they react. I learn something with every encounter like that. So when I draw on that animal and do that and then I let down and I really see how they react to that because I've actually drawn on a bull that froze. And guys, here's what happens. If you want to draw on an animal when they're walking, draw on them when they're in the open because they're going to stop broadside and they're going to look at you, man. Okay, or they're going to booger for about five yards and they're going to stop broadside and they're going to look at you. It's just how they do it. And that animal looks at me. I let down. He boogers and goes off and stops and then turns and looks at me. And that that comes in my database, man, about their behavior that's going to give me an opportunity. So uh, for this whole thing on being an aggressive hunter, understand it's not about um, it's not about challenging. It's not about being mean. It's not about fighting. It's about making things happen, doing the things that most people won't do to give yourself an opportunity to be in a position, to be able to have a shot, to be able to have an animal, to be able to do those things that are going to create the opportunities. Okay, so that's what uh, we want to do with that. Yeah, you know, I got to hunt with the other part of our dynamic duo of the Venezuelan mafia, Manano Gratarón, and uh, he wanted to watch me draw on some animals, right? And we actually had a big herd of deer in on us, and uh, he said, you know, I I watched him try to draw on an animal, and man, everything just about left, right? And uh, it was just because, it. number one, he had loud clothing, but number two, he made a lot of movement when he drew so I showed him how my, my draw sequence when I'm whitetail hunting and I drew on every deer that walked in there and they never knew I was there. Right. Right. He was just blown away with it, but th- you learn over time to put yourself in those situations and draw, you know, I mean, I, I wasn't planning on shooting any of those animals, 
but it still helps me hone my skills to be undetected when I'm drawing, right? And look, whitetails and elk are two two different things to hunt. But at the end of the day, you still, man, as smooth as you can be. I teach my son when we're sitting up in the deer stand, we draw on just about everything. Joel sent you some video of him drawing himself, you know, and that's big to be able to draw when you're up close on an animal like that. Mm -hmm. And count coup as you've taught us so, so forth and and so on. And uh, that helps. I I can, I can't, our listeners out there got to understand that you get the opportunity to draw. If you decide you're not going to take an elk, at least try to see if you can seal the deal and get drawn. Oh man, because it it teaches you, it's in your database, how they react is teaching you something about Mm -hmm. them. Yeah, absolutely. I, I also think it's important, Joe, um, the practice that you put out at home too. I mean, it, we're not discarding that by any means, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the muscle memory in these moments is extremely crucial because you don't want to be thinking about your anchor points uh, when when you have a big elk in front of you. You don't want to be thinking about, okay, you know, am I am I looking at the bow straight? Um, is my arm extended enough? Is my is my position right? I mean, you don't want to be going through that checklist in your mind right. when all of this scenario is unfolding in front of you. Right. Uh, you want that stuff to take place on its own, and. Um, and so that's why it's so important to practice and practice and practice to where that muscle memory does it automatically for you. That way you concentrate in what's new and what's out there in the environment in actually being aggressive in positioning yourself and getting the shot opportunity and just understanding what's around you. What, you know, you have an animal in front of you that you want to shoot, but Hey, we got a group of animals that are coming from here from the right hand side, which animal do I want to shoot and why? I mean, am I going to spook this animal by trying to shoot these ones or, you know, that a lot happens in split of seconds that you don't want to be thinking about your forms well uh, if, just... if you th- if you think about your bull that we killed this year the yeah. the things that happened with that Luis, the the aggressive moves that happen with that you know we get a bull sounding off that morning and we're basically shadowing that herd man we're moving trying to cut the distance on that herd we get to the point where they go off into other property areas where we can no longer follow them. Most guys would go, it's over. But instead of doing that, instead of us following that herd, what we did was we created a tactic where we were another herd that came to the top of that ridge, just like they do. Because guys, I'm telling you, a lot of times elk will converge to the same areas, man. Different groups will converge. So we actually started sounding like a group coming to that same ridge. And then what we did was me with guys down in position to try to pull them back to us i start going in the other direction sounding like that herd that has multiple cows coming um, multiples coming in um has uh, a hot cow as it's coming across moving in the other direction away and then i come back and i start throwing that lost cow call and somebody asked about um using the calf sounds and stuff like that um if i felt like the calf sounds would you know get more to that instinct to pull them when you do when you do a lost cow or lost calf remember what you're pulling remember who's going to react to that it's going to be the cows ain't going to be the bull it's going to be the cows and remember it's the cows that determine where the bulls go so yes if you can use a lost calf to pull aunt b or aunt 
Aunt Cow over there and pull them to you, it's going to bring a bull, okay? Especially if that ends up being a lead cow out there. If you sound like uh, a lost cow when there's uh, a bull showing that there's cow in heat, now you're going to have a bull. It might try to come collect that right there. So we're starting to do that. That's our aggressive tactic. I mean, we're, I mean, all right, Luis, yeah. how long did this go on? <laughs> yeah. So, and, and, and the person you're trying to answer to as Chase Tyler, uh, Slitter, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry, Chase. I butchered your last name right there, but uh, yeah. So, slider? Slider, I bet. Yeah. Slider. Uh-huh. Yeah. Slider. And uh, so, yeah, and his question is very valid. In this case, it worked out perfect because we were able to, um, on a situation where where elk were gathering in a different area in which where we had no access, and they were all gathering up to the top of that ridge across the fence on the other side from where we were. Um, the lost cow did exactly what you're saying. It actually brought in a, a calf from the other side, which mm-hmm. was followed by its 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 uh, its cow the cow elk. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, as she was following the calf, then it brought the bull behind her, and then it brought another cow that was with her, and another bull that was behind the other cow. It so just kept coming. before we knew it a situation where we thought it was over and we were not going to get an opportunity to bring this elk back. We had five elk, elk jumping across the fence but back how, to where we were. But how long did it take for, for that? Oh, to get we were them? there for uh, Joe. I, I, I was, t- I remember telling my nana, I was like, Joe's got to be losing, you know, his lungs by now. He's been blowing calls for over 45 minutes, possibly an hour. Uh, and, uh, and just when I was about to turn around and, and tell, I, I even told my Nana, I said, let's go back to the top and tell Joe it's, it's over. That's when, you know, we started hearing that calf responding from the other side and then started to come over. Right. And, uh, and then everything started unfolding. So it was a, it was a moment where like we, we needed to start to figure out, okay, how is this going to unfold? Where are they going to go? And you know, what's the best approach? Because now we had some animals coming from the right, some animals coming from the left. And uh, it was a decision of, do I shoot the cow that is is stepping right in front of me? Or is that bull that I know is completely committed to jump the fence and follow that cow? um, Do do I rather wait for that bull? And I kind of played my cards there, but uh, I, I did. I figured, well, that bull is going to have to stop right where that cow stopped, just following her scent and trying to follow that cow. And you and actually sure made enough, a very did. aggressive move yourself because that bull was in position where you were behind a tree. You're at full yeah, draw, and you step out. You don't wait. You step out, and you make that shot in an aggressive move. And that's that's what uh, that's kind of where I wanted to to finish that stuff tonight is that making sure everybody understands what I mean by aggression <clears throat> and we're talking about making situations happen. So, uh guys, what we're going to do is we're going to go now and we're going to take a look at some of these questions that we have. We've kind of hit some of these along the way and tried to, but uh we're going to go and take a look and I, I think I had one um, from, it was from Chase as well. And Chase was asking, what are your top three tactics when it's midday and the elk aren't talking and things are slow? And 
you know, uh, it depends a, a lot on what's happening during that day chase. Did you, well, if it's slow, it's because you, you don't have anything. You're not, you're not, uh, you haven't shadowed anything into the bedding area. Nothing like that is going on. You're not hearing any noise. My favorite tactic at that <laughs> point is generally, depending on the situation, if I have nothing, then I'm going to probably start working upper third through bedding areas, following the elk trails into those bedding areas. And I'm cow calling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a few times, just like that, and I'm slowly moving through. And as I'm doing that and throwing them in different directions, I'm just sounding like a, a herd that's moving in there and listening and looking because um, those bulls are going to move in silently and come on the side. You know, uh, there's been so many times that Chab and I have been together and this has been successful. Luis has been with me twice now in which we brought in bulls silently with that technique. In fact, uh, the one year you guys were with me, you had a bear tag, no elk tag. Just wanted to learn about elk hunting. So you're on my six. You're learning and listening. I call in a, uh, a bull, shoot him at about, I don't know, 15 yards, a small raghorn at 15 yards. That bull is going off and... As I scream to stop that bull, we're standing there, and I'm listening to the Venezuelan mafia argue. You know, they're like, going that's, back. "That's not true, Joe. We never <laughs> argue." It is true. These guys are like, "No, <laughs> he hit him right that. here. No, I saw he hit him just like this." And oh, it was hilarious, man. And we're standing there, and we finally decide to sit down. It's not five minutes. A bear is coming in to the elk call, to the cow elk call, and we shot a bear and a and a bull elk. And I don't know, 10, 15 minutes, we got 15, 20 minutes at most. Yeah. Yeah. And so my favorite tactic is to move through bedding areas using those, those cow calls. Um, If I find fresh sign and I smell them while I'm moving there, you got to be careful because sometimes it could be urine on the ground. But if I see some fresh, fresh droppings, then at that point in time, I might try doing kind of a breeding sequence. I'm going to, I always introduce the cow call first because it lets me do so many scenarios. If I do a cow call and a bull responds to that, now I'm engaged, okay? And I'm not engaged in a way where I'm trying to slap him or fight him or scare him off with a scream. Uh, He's interested in a cow. If I do a cow call and he engages just like that, and I start doing some raking, introduce a bull a little bit after I've got him to hear that. Now I start to get him a little more agitated. He starts to hear a bull there, and it's not me, again, just screaming at him. It's me displaying to that cow right there. So, again, just painting a picture, but I like to work through those bedding areas, the darker, the thicker, the cooler. And sometimes if there is nothing going, I'll work through them as I'm heading back towards camp. Okay, so that's one of my as far as top three tactics during the slow part of the day. um, My second tactic is to take a nap. My third tactic is to eat something, you know, and just chill. Because sometimes if you just stay in a spot and you just stay there and relax, I can't tell you how many times we've had a bull sound off in the area because we were just there in the area. 
You know, if you're out in the woods, you come across elk so much more. So I would tell you my main tactic is is to work through those bedding areas with a few cow calls um, going through there and try to work something up. Okay. Uh, John, talks there's about a question the there, Joe, uh -huh. about the about um, you know got a tag for hunting spikes a spike yeah. only. Uh, yeah, from Matt Flowers. Matthew Matt Matthew Flowers. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, so, for, thanks for tuning in, brother. Yeah, Matt, man, uh, when you're doing that, just remember those spikes want to be with something. They don't care. They're dumb as a bag of hammers, too, man. And, yeah, I'm man, telling and, you, they, they want to be part of the party. Yeah, If you just sound like a, a, a small herd, again, that's that same thing like I was just talking about, working as working slowly through an area. Um, you can... Um, you can do scenarios where you just sound like a herd that's in an area that's moving to um, uh, a bedding area or up in there, and they're going to they're going to want to herd up. Oh, going back to you, Chase, man, that's another one of my tactics that I really like to do. Though is if I don't have anything going on, there's no bulls that are going to an area, then I create that too. I act like a bull trailing my cows moving up to a ridge to bed down. I do that exact type of advertising bugle, and I just do a few little mews here, just some of that, that herd talk. That's all it is. And that bull moving, going up. I'm screaming. I'm screaming. A few cow calls. I'm screaming as I do. And what that does is I am advertising to other bulls out there, or basically what I'm doing is I'm telling my cows, hey, y'all, I'm right here. Okay, and I'm trying to bring other cows to me. And what it does is it announces to other bulls that there's cows in the area. There's a bull that's got cows there and they start coming in from the side. So if I don't have action happening, I become the action. And in doing that, you suck bulls into you. That's another one of my favorite ones that I like to do. Um, but going back to the spike, yeah, man, that same thing that I just announced right there will do that. You just want to give them somebody or something for that poor dude that he can join because those spikes will go to be with anything and everything. They just feel lost, man. You know, they're in that first and second year, first year, and they, they want to be with somebody. Okay. Um, Great question. Yeah, yeah. Awesome question. I had a question, uh, uh, John Jones asked about uh, the camo update. Uh, oh. So this is Elk Bros camo right here that, that I'm wearing right now. And um, a lot of things slowed us down in the COVID, man. Um, Disregard the model, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just concentrate on the camo for now. Yeah, I should have it pulled up over the head, right? Okay. <laughs> um, you know what I'm actually thinking on doing is doing a limited edition run of this and and this is actually gilbert um tell them about this material that we have this on currently so the the current material that we've used uh i've got a real good friend of mine here that helps us with all our athletes and everything so uh my athletes actually play in in the heat of the summer i mean it's 110 115 degrees a lot of times we're on the ball field so what joe's wearing right now is a dry fit type material uh it uh it is not Nike dry fit, but it is just like it uh, in a Nike dry fit type of material. And it is subliminated uh, on that dry fit material. So, yeah. Um, yeah. 
It is a sublimated pattern, uh, and we're working with uh, our manufacturers to move on into other things, you know, where we could do pants and stuff like that. But yeah, Joe's right. This COVID thing kind of, kind of locked us down where we can't, I mean, there's, it's hard to get fabric right now. So um, as we come out of this thing and things start opening up, we'll have a lot more on the camera. What I'm actually thinking of doing for this because of the situation it is and, and not being able to do a big run, I, I know that we can order them, um, by the unit. So I'm actually thinking of doing for this a limited edition pre-order run. So guys can order that, pay ahead of time to put their order in and then have it delivered to you when that comes in. If that's something that you're interested in, just email me, joe at elkbros.com. The more interest I get, if that's what people want to do, then we'll look into doing something like that. Okay. Now I will tell you, this is not, and, and my goal and our goal is to be able to do different levels to ensure that all of our grinders can be wearing this. I want something that where people can end up buying a shirt at that $20, uh, $25 area. And then when you have something like this, this is a higher level performance short shirt. So there's not much that I can do other than whatever it costs to get that unit on there. So um, if you're interested, just let us know. Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, if I'm, I appreciate Mr. Hanson, Mr. Hashin, Chad Hashin. Chad, is Chad here? Ask it, is, yeah, yeah Chad's yeah. there, man. He's been participating for a while. Yeah. Chad. Hello, Chad. <laughs> uh, are the bedding areas found in the same the place? Areas are, yeah. Yeah. Got it. Found in the same place year after year, or are they more related to where the feed and water is? So elk know where every bedroom is, man. And as they re- rotate through an area, um, they will use a bedroom associated with where they want to get their feed and water. If they feel pressure and they move to a different area, they'll have a bedroom there. But I will tell you this, Chad, in the areas that we hunt, they like to use the same areas year after year after year. And some of them are only going to be within a half mile of each other if they're from one to the other. Am I right about that, y'all? Yeah, and in, in a lot of it depends on the wind, too, uh, where they'll position themselves. Uh, some of, you know, the prevailing winds coming out of some areas, they'll actually shift, you know, and get into a little bit deeper timber or whatever that makes them feel safer, right? If you've gotten a lot more falling stuff, I mean, things change as the year goes by. I mean, where we hunt in, in, in New Mexico, there's a lot of falling timber, a lot of high winds in the spring and stuff like that. But yeah, for the most part, I mean, our bedding areas are, man, I mean, we can count on a couple areas we know that that's the bedroom. Chav, how many years do we end up in the same area when we're chasing them up in the bedding area? Yeah, it seems like when you're uh, chasing the elk, uh, it usually ended up in the same general area. Uh, you know, we, we know at least, uh, you know, several bedding areas where, you know, we've gone through and there's always elk in that area, especially in the, the middle of the day. And yeah. in, the, in the morning when we're chasing them, or uh, shadowing them, they tend to head in that same direction all the time. They may not end up there, but they're heading in that direction. That's right. Yes, I would like to rephrase the question, though. Uh huh. Are they in the same area because that's where the feed is at, though? And and you know, if if for some reason the feed just just stop 
spring in in one spot and then started springing in the other do you think the bedding there they would change their bedding oh absolutely um, man uh, but, yeah man especially yeah, in a burn area or something like that yeah ca- ca- cows like to calve in the same areas and generally they're going to be in the best feed areas and if something happens to that yeah it's going to move them to another spot they're going to move down or but they want to be someplace where it's the best feed where they can get good water and they have that safety and it's not too hard on them and a lot of them sometimes have calved and got calves with them by there and so they've got to care for them as well so they really like to be in the same areas and i'll tell you this bulls like to rut their cows in the same areas as well they'll take them to a lot of the same places there so i i hope that answers your My brother john jones says he's ready get the pre-order started Crank it up, Joe. Crank it up. Awesome, man. Um, uh, Jeffrey. Oh, first of all, I got to give a shout out there to to Connor Turborg. Uh, Connor uh, uh, is a family member, man, and it's cool to see him on here listening to this. But uh, and congratulations on your eighth grade graduation, man. Uh, Proud of you, bud. We're extremely proud of you. Okay. Amen. Um, That's Connor. And I. Jeffrey Evanson, how many cans of spam for a 10 day hunt? That's <laughs> <Saw> my reply. <laughs> we got the Venezuela mafia in camp, brother. I'm going to tell oh, you, we, we spoiled rotten. We like oh, to take uh, shrimp and grits and stuff out on the, on the road with us, man. You so never as, as a kid, Gilbert, you know how it was back, uh, oh, I don't know, man. with your grandpa yeah. when you were fishing. Oh, my, yeah. my dad's tackle box consisted of lures and everything up and on the shelves and in the bottom it was spam sardines crackers yes. tabasco yes. sauce potted you know, meat potted mm-hmm. meat you know we were raised on that stuff out there always <laughs> prepared with too. it and i mean i've had spam and eggs fried spam baked spam i've had spam mm. made into a casserole uh uh I, I tell you what, if you're with me, buddy, Jeffrey, man, it's only going to take whatever you're going to eat because I'm done with it, man. I, I'll, I'll eat some of that bologna with strips on well, it I'm going to bring <laughs> some spam this year with us. Negative. You ain't Just to make sure back. that if, if Joe mistreats me too much, too bad out in the mountains and makes me run too much and I'm, you know, I'm super no tired, spam. I'm going to be, oh, now you want me to cook? I, Here's well, I'm going to leave that spam bear dropping right outside spam your tent, too, bro. We'll let off, you know yeah, what's happening off, with that. Off the menu, we are not doing the spam <laughs> thing. I'm not hating. Look, I got nothing against spam, but I have graduated uh, our uh, – our our brothers that have given us some really good carbohydrates and complex <laughs> stuff to eat out there. Uh, one of my favorite things is Cameron Haynes has put out. Uh, not no shout out to Cameron, but we love what he does and and everything else. But Cameron's got a, a really cool sandwich. He eats peanut butter and bacon. And fellas, I'm gonna tell you right now, when you have wore yourself out, and if you've been with Joe Jilly, you know how wore out that is. I'm gonna tell you, there is nothing that'll light the fire up underneath you when you hear another bull bugle than that peanut butter and bacon, baby. <laughs> yeah. And a little bit of honey dribbled on it. I gotta go. Oh, that's good. <laughs> no stuff. doubt. For sure. That's good. Uh yeah. All right, guys. So he had one of them. He can't lie. He likes it. <laughs> I you know, this is the 
Guys, uh, this is our first time doing this. All you guys that are, are live out there, we appreciate you tuning into this. Uh, it, it it's it's a first time. I'm I'm hoping it flew well for you. Uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, I I thought it was pretty cool. Um, I hope you guys uh, aren't freaked out when you got to listen to the same content in about three weeks over there. Uh, so. Um, <laughs> Let us know. Give us some feedback on this, on, on what you thought. and uh, and Joe, and... we had one more from our Elk Bros mailbox with John Lang. Uh, oh, yeah. He asked. Oh, okay. He wanted to understand the morning process a bit better. And mm. I know you can speak to this because really Joe's time. The beginning of September, Colorado, so two hours before light. Uh, he's uh-huh. kind of got that. But some cow calls just to locate or only cow calls. And, uh, and so you can close the gap and wait until light. He says, how close do you think you can get and start calling at them when uh, it starts getting light out? Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, and again, it's just like, like I said, it kind of depends on how far that first bugle is and what the situation is. And it really depends on how far away you are from daylight. Um, I'm, if I can at all possible, I want to close that gap within 200 yards. Right. And at 200 yards, I can sit down by a tree, make sure I have the wind. I can just listen now to see what other type of things I'm hearing, because my goal, even when I'm closing the gap, when I do have daylight is I'm closing that and we're listening, trying to hear what else is going on. We want to get close enough that we can hear whether or not that bull has cows with him, whether or not there's other bulls bugling on each side. Um, But, uh, I, I definitely gonna get that 200 yards as I start to get gray light. And if that, if that bull continues to talk himself, now I'm going to cut that a little bit. Once I have gray light, then, and Gilbert's been with me, Gilbert, we almost, I mean, we've walked right into the middle of the herd chap. How many times have we walked in the middle of the herd in the dark, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. Many times, <laughs> many times. We actually and, slept with a herd one time and oh, as, so as cool. moved, we move and lay down they move it a little bit more. We'd get up and move it a little bit and then lay down again. And wow. Yeah. I've been with Joe and we just ride on them, dogging them the whole way up, you know, right. Uh, can't, can't, the wind was kind of, it, it, it wasn't really in our favor. So we knew where they were. We could see them down in a park and we decided to side hill and move with them. And man, I'm t- they're such athletes. You have got yeah. to have your stuff together, man, to get on them. And it also also depends on how thick it is. Um, if it's if it's really open country, a lot of times that can limit you, you know, on, on where you're going. If it's really really yeah. thick country, you can get in a little tighter because that's going to diffuse a lot of their sound as well, anyways, and they're not going to be able to see you. And you got to be careful when you're doing this kind of stuff when you're moving in the dark, closing on animal. Take that's the the point where you got to hurry up and slow down. You don't want to do something to yeah. hurt yourself. You don't want to trip over a rock or anything like that okay and uh um so uh i like to close that gap at least 200 yards and wait until light okay um now once it starts getting light am i calling at them depends on what happens i gotta read the situation if i haven't heard anything in a while locate well i'm going to have to kind of show where i'm at so my first call is going to be with my tube going behind me, my cow call. My second was going to be a cow call just right here. If I still have nothing, I'm going to do a cow call 
towards that animal. I don't have anything there. I'm going to introduce a bugle then at that point. And I might, before I even do that, just introduce some bull sounds before I do that to see if that bull's going to react to a rake, if he's going to react, uh, react to some grunting. So again, I just want to do some things that are lower and closer before I reach out too far because I don't want that animal to think I'm closer than what I am. Okay. So, um, yeah, if, if you end up in a situation that's golden where you can go and get between a bull and his cows at first light, then yeah, sometimes, man, I'll just give a little sweet cow call, bring that puppy right by me. And I did that one time, made a 12-yard shot on a bull coming to recover one of his cows. So, again, it's just kind of situational on that. But I want to get at least into about 200 yards on that animal. All right. Um, so that's Great pretty question, much it, Gilbert. Yeah. Great question, John. Uh, appreciate everybody participating tonight. You know, if you like what we're doing, please subscribe, rate, and please. review us. Those five stars are big for us. You got to go to Apple Podcast or iTunes to review, and you can check out more elk hunting content at elkbros.com. And just a rem reminder to all our listeners out there, if you'd like your questions answered on our show, you know, just send, send those questions in to info at elkbros.com. That's info at elkbros.com. So, so glad to have everybody. You know, uh, Luis, we appreciate you being on with us. Our elk hunting coaches, it's been fantastic, guys. I think the country's starting to open up. Corona is exiting. Maybe we can have some Dos Equis and celebrate. Uh, <laughs> at the end of the day, fellas, I always, you know, depending on your state, but here in Texas, we're going to kiss our wives, and wives are going to kiss our husbands. We're going to hug our babies. We're going to keep our broad head sharp and our powder dry. And we'll see you next week right here on Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Peace, peace, everybody. Peace. Thanks, Thanks for being there tonight. Thank you. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.